Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So uh, moving on to this morning's message, I'm excited to uh, kick off a new series called Created to Flourish. And uh, just uh, as a means of introduction, and ask the, the question, um, who of you enjoys a, a beautiful rose bush? All of the ladies put up their hands. And the guys, it's fine, Kane, you can also enjoy a good, uh, beautiful rose bush. I enjoy, like, uh, when you see a beautiful rose bush in someone's garden, you're like, man, that person is gifted. Because uh, it's, it's difficult, I don't know about you, it's difficult to keep a rose bush alive. Uh, it's difficult to keep most, most plants alive, but uh, roses seem a little bit more temperamental. Um, let's leave the joke that I have in my mind now. Um, <laughs> uh, some of you know uh, where I was going to go with that. Um, and those who don't, it's, it's good. Let's, uh, let's, let's keep it like that. Now, um, what is a beautiful rose bush? If you consider a beautiful rose bush, it's a bush that is flourishing, right? You don't ever look at a rose bush that is just standing there and there's no flowers on it. Like, and be like, wow, that's amazing. That's a beautiful rose bush. No, it's a, a rose bush that is actually bearing flowers, and the flowers are blooming, and it's beautiful. And so God created the rose bush with roses in mind, right? He didn't create the rose bush with the, uh, not having roses. Like it's the, 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 the bush, the, 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 the root, so to speak, purpose is to, to, to give nourishment to the rest of the plant and then ultimately to, to bloom. Now God created each of us with roses in mind too. You guys get the analogy? He created each one of us with roses in mind. So what does that mean? He didn't create you to be empty. He didn't create you to uh, be without fruit. He created you with, with roses in mind to flourish. He created you with flourishing in his mind. Life in abundance was always part of God's plan. John 10, 10 from the uh, NRSV translation in the Passion says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly say abundantly so what does abundantly mean it means an overflow it means flourishing it doesn't just mean one uh, rose uh, uh, petal or one uh, one flower but it means flourishing in abundance but this life in abundance is not often what we consider or what we often think it is and we'll get into that uh, in, in a little bit the passion translation says it like this a thief has only one thing in mind he wants to steal slaughter and destroy but i've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. So the Passion Translation brings a very important dynamic with regards to God's intent and the life that Jesus came to bring us with regards to the picture of abundance, the picture of flourishing. Flourishing is not just for your benefit, but the people around you. Amen? If you've got a lack, lack of flourishing, then the people around you know it. The people around you are bearing the consequences of your lack of flourishing. Now say, I want to be a blessing. Okay, so that means you're flourishing. It means that you're considering your growth and you're maturing, your walk with God, not just for your sake, for your benefit, but also for the people around you. Amen? That is really, really important. Oftentimes we, we, we don't consider our growth and our maturing in, in that regard, the people around us. So God's intent, Jesus' intent for coming is to give us life, that life, that word life is a, the Zoe life. It's, it's life in overflow. It's life in its completeness. Right? Some of you are uh, single here. 
and you're waiting to get married because you think that that's going to complete you. No man or woman on earth can complete another man or woman. Okay, but like within the specific context of men and women get married, <laughs> husband and wife, man and wa- woman, and then woman and man. Like it's not a same-sex kind of a situation there, so I uh, just wanted to clarify that. But it's uh, God's intent, it's God's will for us to enjoy completeness first and foremostly in Him. It's not intended to be found in anything else, whether it's a person, whether it's a career, whether it's uh, even having children. Some of you think that I've got some situations and uh, some, I'm not going to share too much detail, but we've got some family uh, uh, challenges and um, there's, there's, there's kids involved and all of these things. And oftentimes people have the misconception with regards to marriage. When I get married, all of my problems will go away. And then ultimately, they also make the mistake of thinking, my problems is probably rooted in the fact that I don't have a child yet. And think, well, like, it's probably a good idea. Like, we've got all of this mess, we've got all of these problems. Let's have a child and see if that fixes our problems. And some of you understand how difficult it is to have children and the challenges that it brings within the already uh, uh, chaos that you might be experiencing within your marriage. So it's important to understand, and that's like a clear pl- practical illustration that. Those kind of things aren't intended to complete us, to bring fulfillment into our lives. But Jesus was the intent for that. But I have come, Jesus, I have come to give you everything in abundance, life in its overflow. Now, now the, 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 the message, that's just an introduction to the series. So God's desire for us is flourishing. God's created us with flourishing in mind. And uh, the title to this morning's message is, Whose Am I? Whose Am I? Before we can look at who we are, what we've been created for, we need to understand our Creator, right? Before we can understand who am I, what was I created for, it's important to understand our Creator, who created us. So, whose am I? Before, look, before we look at who God is and His character, let's start off by just looking at a few things, um, who God isn't and what His character is not. He doesn't have a split personality, It's not the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. It's not the God of wrath and then the God of love. He doesn't have a split personality. He doesn't punish us for our sin or wrongdoing. That might be a challenging one for you guys to uh, chew on. We'll get into the context of all of these statements. But He doesn't punish us for our sin and wrongdoing. He doesn't want anyone to die and live separated from Him. Because that's ultimately what... what, um, what death and destruction is all about. It's living in your separated state from God. God doesn't kill, steal, or destroy. We saw that in John 10, 10 right now. Who steals, kills, and destroys? The thief, the enemy, right? Um, but more, more so even, oftentimes we just kind of blame the devil for a bunch of things, and he is to blame for a bunch of things. But then there's also a blame that we need to kind of take on ourselves, taking responsibility for bad decisions we make. Anyone here ever made a bad decision? Now, just hold your hand up there quickly. Now, who of you has made a bad decision and blamed the devil for that bad decision before? Wow. This is a bunch of honest people. I'm in good company. That's good. Oftentimes, too often, we give the credit more uh, credit than is due to him. And so we need to take responsibility for the decisions we're making. But God is not the one that kills, seals, and destroys he is not the Godfather. Amen? He's God the Father. Right? The Godfather in the sense that 
man, uh, you've been super self-centered with your finances this last year, and uh, you can't remember the last time you, you gave towards any uh, uh, good deed or even considered giving towards the kingdom and advancing of the gospel. And so you've got this, uh, this, this, this worry on your, on your heart the whole time of like, when is God coming to claim? When is He coming to claim from my lack of generosity? Right? Whether it's in the form of a broken appliance, whether it's in the form of uh, you losing your job, because He's the Godfather. So uh, He comes around every now and then to see whether you've been generous. And so if you haven't, He's going to come and take that from you um, in a forceful way. That's the picture of the Godfather. That's not God. That's not His character. That's not His nature. What is His nature? What is His character? God is love, always, forever, never changing. First John, let's go to First John chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. Let's labor in this point of whose am I? Whose am I? Who is God? My Creator, my Father. Because His love is always, He is love always and forever. And it's never changing. First John 4, verse 7 to 10 from Amplified Classic says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is or springs from God. And he who loves his fellow man is begotten, born of God, and is coming progressively to know and understand God, to perceive and recognize and get a better and clearer knowledge of Him. So loving others is not a work. Maybe you're trying to love the people around you, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your, uh, um, the loved ones around you, even those who are frustrating you, those who are difficult to you. Loving them, it feels like a work, like a strife. It's like, Man, there's just no overflow. But what is loving others a fruit of? It says it there for us in the text. Because it says, Those who love is begotten of God and is coming to know and understand God, to perceive Him better, to perceive and recognize and get a better and clearer knowledge of Him. And this is the, 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 the pursuit. This should be the pursuit of every Christian. It shouldn't be a pursuit of, I'm going to be a better believer. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to love the unbelievers around me more. I'm going to love God more. I'm going to be more dedicated to God this year. I'm going to be a greater giving to the, uh, giver towards the kingdom this year. All of those things are fruit of something. And if that fruit isn't a natural fruit, but it's a, a, a mechanical fruit or it's a forced fruit outside of overflow outside of understanding the source of that fruit it will be short-lived it's like new year's resolutions who of you are have already failed in some of your new year's resolutions thanks Verdi, julius tristan for your guys honesty you guys are good you guys are good i'm making mental notes of these uh, honest guys in my church um so when something isn't coming from a hard conviction, something, if it's not coming from a strong motivation, it will be short-lived. And so with regards to our love for one another, if it's not coming from understanding and growing in knowledge and recognizing and coming to better and clear, clearly know God, it will be short-lived. Verse 8 says, He who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not and never did know Him. For... God is love. So you might be here this morning and you're struggling to love the people around you. You are failing short at loving the people around you. What does it say? He who does not love, so if that is you, if you do not love, it's because you have not become acquainted with God, does not and never did know Him, for God is love. Now it doesn't mean that you're not saved. 
It just means that you've got a lack of understanding of what your salvation means and who your father is. And that's okay because all of us have been there at some point or another. All of us are growing and becoming more acquainted with. All of us are growing, or let me rather rephrase, some of us are growing. Some of us are growing and choosing to become more acquainted with God, coming to understand Him better. For example, those of you who are choosing to do ministry school, that's a choice that you are making to grow more in understanding God's nature. All of you being here this morning under the sound of my voice, those online, you are choosing to become uh, more acquainted with who God is, His nature and His character by being in the setting, by receiving the Word. Because it's through the Word that we come to know God. It's not through experiences. Some of you have had amazing experiences and, and uh, God has changed your life, and that's all amazing. But that is an experience personal to you, and that experience might be flawed in some way or another in, uh, in comparison to what the Word says. And so we can't go by our experiences. We can't go by our emotions because all of our experiences, all of our emotions go up and down and it changes. And one moment it's like that and one moment it's like that. And so the, even our gospel presentation, we had an amazing time at Life Group as well this past week. And even our gospel presentation, if it's based on an experience we had, that experience might have nothing to do with the person on the other side of the table and so if you limit your gospel presentation by your personal experience, it might not mean anything to that person. And so you, the gospel that we are bringing to the world needs to be applicable to every person. It doesn't ma matter their background, their economic status, skin color, uh, how much money they've got in their ba bank account, none of that. It needs to be applicable to everyone because that's the gospel that Jesus came to preach, the gospel that He uh, commissioned us to preach. And so we need to come to understand what that gospel means so he who does not love has not become acquainted with god for god is love so what is god god is love without god it is impos impossible to love like him without knowing his love for us it is impossible to love like him without god and his love for us it is impossible to flourish because he is the source his love specifically understanding his love Understanding His compassion, understanding the Father heart of God, that is the, 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 um, the compost, that is the, 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 the food to our soil, so to speak, to our hearts that fuels the flourishing. Amen? Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest. It was displayed where we are concerned. In that, God sent His Son, the only begotten, unique Son in the world, so that we might live through him the love of god what this is saying is the love of god was made manifest or it was made clear it was made evident because before this time especially if you go to the old testament and if you don't understand the gospel if you don't if you have not come to know jesus through the gospels and through the epistles you and you just stuck on the old testament you might consider god being quite a harsh judgmental god a god of wrath a god of anger but now it's saying here, God sent His Son, Jesus, so that the world might live through Him. But He displayed His love in this way. The love of God was made manifest. And it wasn't just made manifest in like, here's a picture of my love for you. No, this was His perfect representation. This was the love of God made manifest as in He came into the world. Jesus was God incarnate, meaning God in the flesh. Right? And that is the love. That isn't what way God 
made his love apparent to us, not just through Jesus being born, but also through the ministry of Jesus, what he taught, what he did, and ultimately what he accomplished for us through his death, his resurrection, and then the outpouring of his spirit. So through Jesus, this was made manifest, the love of God. Jesus isn't just a part of God, but he is God, God in the flesh. Now verse 10 says, in this is love, in what Jesus manifested. But also, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, it says, in this is love, not that we love God. Again, it's not about your love for God. It's about his love for you. Because we too often want to love people from our own ability. And all of us will fail short. You've probably seen this, where you're falling short in your love for someone that you should be loving or that you should be gracious towards, and then you fall short because you're doing it in your own strength. You're not doing it from understanding of you've been loved. And so you can love. And so that's why it's vastly important to know whose I am and who God is, His nature and His character, understanding His love for me. Because only in that way can we truly flourish in this love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the the payment for our sins. Now, we'll get into this a little bit more, but uh, a father who really loves someone um, isn't going to... A father who really wants to love someone, because we're talking now about the, the, the nature of God and the, the, the father heart of God and whose I am. A father who really loves someone and wants to show radical love towards that someone is not going to send someone else to die for that person on their, their, their behalf, right? If I really love Catherine and uh, um, someone needs to, to die for her and something a wrong that she's committed, if I want to radically show my love towards Catherine, I'm not going to go like, Yo, Devon, I, I really love Catherine. Will you go and die in her place for me just to show, show her how much I love her? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? So, that's the picture of Jesus. Jesus wasn't sent by God to demonstrate God's love for us. Jesus was God who came to die for us. Okay, we'll get into that a little bit more because oftentimes that's a, that's a, a topic within the Bible and the, the, the Trinity as a, some people talk about the Trinity of God. They have a misunderstanding of what that means. But God himself came to die for our sins. God didn't send his son in the sense of biology. Because sometimes we get it wrong with regards to that and that doesn't make sense. Because I'm not going to send Chris or Michael to die for someone else so that they can understand my love for that individual doesn't make sense. So, so this is something that we'll navigate through in uh, in this year at some point or another. And so, uh, hold on to your seats and uh, chew on that a little bit more. So, true love is found in God's love for us. True flourishing is found in God's love for us. And remember, here yeah, the audience is plural, because again, too often we read the Bible from a singular point of view. We read the Bible from, wow, this is so amazing. Look at God's love for me. Yes, His love is for you personally, but His love is also for us corporately. Us meaning not just us in this room, but the whole world. Because Jesus didn't just come and die for you. Praise God, He died for you. But He also died for the people in your life who don't know Him. The people who are living outside of a relationship with Him. 
that's very important to understand that and consider the fact that most of the New Testament is written to churches, communities of believers, not to believers in the singular sense. And where it is written to believers in the singular sense, those believers are leaders of churches. And so God's heart is for the, the body of Christ, many members, to experience His love and to grow in His love. So we need to understand that in light of God's character and His purposes for our lives. Verse 10 from the easy-to-read version says it like this. True love is God's love for us. So what is true love? God's love for us. It's for you, but it's also for us, corporately, together. Not our love for God. So what is true love not? True love is not your love for God. True love is God's love for you. That's true love. And when we come to understand that, we will be able to love God. We will be able to live dedicated lives towards God. But too often as Christians, we fail in our Christian commitment because we are trying to love God. We are trying to, to demonstrate love in a, in a mechanical way, in a non-organic way. We are trying to, to compare ourselves among ourselves. We are trying to climb the Christian ladder, so to speak, with regards to promotion. And last week we touched on that the, the greatest function and role within the body of Christ that you could ever step into is not what you think it is. It is what, was God, it is what God has called you to personally. And being content with that. Because it might not mean you're standing up front like I am. What I'm doing up front here is just a function of the gift that God gave towards the body of Christ. And the purpose of that gift is to get us all to mature, to grow up in understanding of who God is. And that is God's desire for you as well. And so we need to stop kind of clinging to titles and, 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 and uh, trying to climb the, the corporate ladder, so to speak, within the body of Christ. We need to understand that true love is not found in, in, in all of those mechanics. It's not found in, in what I do for God and, and, uh, and, and jumping through this hoop and jumping through that hoop. No, true love is found in being content in God's love for us. Our pursuit for life of flourishing is found in the simple truth. True love is God's love for us. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22. We'll get a little bit more into this, uh, this picture of the love of God and the Father out of God. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6 to 8. It says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And so for those of you who don't know the context of this account, this is the account where Abraham uh, was going to go up to the mountain to sacrifice his son Isaac. Okay, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So Isaac is kind of uh, going with his father up to the mountain, and there's the, there's the fire, there's the wood, and he's kind of connecting the dots. Because he's, now, he's not uh, a baby anymore. He's understanding the concept of, we're going to go and do something right now. We're going to... Uh, he understands the, the, the culture. He's understanding the, the, the way of, of uh, how they worship God in some ways through offerings. And, and so here they've got the, 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 the wood, they've got the fire. And Isaac is stopping. He's asking his father, well, where's the sacrifice? That's a great question, Isaac. Where's the sacrifice? And uh, it's amazing. Abraham's response is so spirit-led that 
man, I, I wonder what some of us would have said in that moment. Like, uh, and we've, we've in, in, in some instances, I know, because uh, we all, all have these moments where we need a spirit-led answer, and we give such a carnal answer that we need to, like, then it's difficult to get out of that hole that we've dug ourselves. And uh, we need to become more spirit-led. And why did Abraham give a spirit-led answer? We'll get to that in a moment. Let's look at Abraham's answer. So Isaac is asking, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's amazing spirit-led response. Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Where did Abraham get this response? Did he get it from uh, some placard that he read on a, um, a lamppost? Where did he get this response? Because God didn't tell him, hey, Abraham, go and, go and uh, sacrifice Isaac, but by the way, like, I'll, I'll, I'll provide the offering. I'll provide the, the lamb. So what does Abraham's response show us? Abraham's res- response shows us a man that knew God's nature. Do you know God's nature? Are you fully persuaded by God's nature, His goodness, Him being a loving Father? Abraham's response shows us a man that knew God as a father and as a friend. God will provide Himself a lamb for burnt offering. James 2.23 says this about Abraham. This scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, And it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So what uh, the the word righteous there, better better translated, is justified, justified, acquitted. So, and it was reckoned to him as justified. Justification was credited to him. Why was justification credited to him? Because Abraham did good works, believed. So justification, your right standing with God, Your acquittal does not come by right doing. It comes by right believing. Abraham believed God. And he was acquitted or accounted as justified. And he was also called a friend of God. If we don't come to know God as a father and a friend, we will never live a life of flourishing. If you don't come to know God as a father and as a friend, you will never never live a life of flourishing. A life of overflow. Abraham's response, amazingly, was also a prophecy. Some of you have connected the dots. If you've heard it before, then uh, it's good. Uh, repetition is always good. But if you haven't heard it before, then Abraham's response was also a prophecy. God will provide. What did God provide in Abraham's account? A lamb. A lamb. Who was our lamb? John 1, 29. The next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This is amazing. Abraham prophetically declaring that God will provide a lamb. But more specifically, what does it say? Himself a lamb. Some of us think that like the English reading, like it's awkward, like what? Surely there's some words, words missing there. Now let's, let's read it for what it is. God will provide himself the lamb. Because God came to die in our stead. 
Jesus, God in the flesh, was the Lamb that came to take your and my sin away, the sin of the world, so that we can enjoy right standing before God, so that we can enjoy experiencing God's presence without any feelings of guilt and shame of our past. Because Jesus came to deal with that. Your sin, your shame, your mistakes. So that we can enjoy a father-son, a father-daughter relationship with our Heavenly Father. Knowing Him as a father, knowing Him as a friend. And the challenge oftentimes, and this is a, a common challenge, is we struggle to, to consider God as a father or see Him as a good father or, or relate to Him in that way because of our earthly relationships, our earthly relationships with our fathers. I'm pretty sure within this room we would have 50% of this room having experienced bad relationships with their fathers, at least 50%. And so if you've had a bad relationship with your father, guess what you do? When you hear the word father, you consider your earthly father. And you now try and relate to God based on that picture that you have of the Word. And what I want to encourage you is to become less acquainted with the experiences you've had in this life on earth through your earthly relationships and become more acquainted with the Word of God and your true Heavenly Father. And I'm not sharing this because, ah, oh, Etienne, you had it easy. Your Father on earth was probably amazing and that's why it's so easy for you to have a great relationship with your Heavenly Father. No, by no means. Shared with someone this past week, uh, I think when I was like 12-ish, 12, 13, like uh, my mom and dad were separated. We moved to Cape Town when I was nine. Yeah, when I was nine. Then we saw my father on, um, on December holidays and uh, once a year kind of. And then there came a time in my, in my childhood where for about two or three years, we didn't hear anything of my father. I didn't know whether he was alive or dead. And the moment that my sister got married when I was 15, I knew that if he is alive, he's probably going to be there. If he's alive. And guess what? He was at, that, at the wedding and it was awkward. You can imagine. Like, what do you say? Like, where have you been? Three years. Nothing. Gone. Didn't know whether he was dead or alive. And then um, now you have to rekindle that relationship. And then we rekindled it for about a year, year and a half to two years until we heard the report that he's got cancer and he's got three more months to live and he passed away. And so that was at age 17. And so I did not have a great example of what a father is. But guess what? I've got the word of God. I've been born again into a new family with a new father. And coming to grow in this, understanding him as father, as Abraham did. Abraham's response was a response of a man who knew God as a father, as a friend. He knew his nature, knew his character. So in that motion, and in that, 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 that spirit leading, Abraham answers, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Prophetically, talking about Jesus. And ultimately, in the natural there was a lamb that was provided that Abraham sacrificed. So God is a God of life. He's not a God of death. 1 John 1, 5. God is a God of life. He's not a God of death. Not a God of destruction. 1 John 1, 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him. And declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So what is God? God is 
light. What is in him? Not at all. No darkness. There's not a little bit of darkness. There's not a little bit of death and destruction. But he is light and in him is no darkness at all. John 1 verse 4 says, In him was life and the life was the light of men. So the word light is oftentimes a metaphor of life that we see throughout the Bible. And yet John 1 verse 4 says, And in him was life and the life was the light of men. So God is life. He's all about life. He's not about death. That's not his ministry. There's no darkness in him. There's no death in him. John 8 verse 12 says, Then he spake, uh, then uh, spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus here is talking about salvation. He's talking about eternal salvation. When you have Christ, you do not have darkness at you or in you at all. So guess what? You don't have a sinful nature. You might be sinning, but that doesn't define your nature. If you receive Christ, you become a follower of Him in a sense, in this context that was Jesus talking about. When you receive Christ and the gift of life, the gift of salvation, what happened to you is there, a transfer will happen. You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old is gone, the new has come. And so you sitting here, if you consider yourself as a sinner by nature, you deceive. You believe the lie. And we've come to believe that lie because of what people have stood up front saying, quoting the Bible. But to make it very practical for us all is, my two sons, if some of you, uh, most of you know them, uh, Chris and Michael, one of the things they love doing is roaring. Sometimes like a lion, sometimes like a dinosaur. And oftentimes I've stopped and I've paused and I've, I've prayed to God and I asked Him in, that, in those moments when they're ro- roaring like a dinosaur or a lion, like, Lord, like, I'm, 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 really, like I'm, I'm really concerned about them because I don't know now whether they're human anymore or whether they've become a dinosaur. I'm not sure whether they've experienced a DNA change like because they're roaring like a lion. So do I have lions in my house or are they actual human beings? I'm being sarcastic, so uh, some of you are enjoying my sarcasm and some of you are confused. Apologies for, uh, for that. Um, when they're acting like lions and acting like dinosaurs, it's acting. It's not who they are. Their DNA in those moments is still 100% human being. Now you, if you've received Christ, you've received a new nature, new DNA. You are called a saint, a holy one, a child of God. Now you might be acting like a sinner. But those actions don't change your nature. Can I get a head nod from some of you? Your actions don't determine who you are. In the same way that you cannot act yourself into the family of God. You cannot act yourself into salvation. You cannot act yourself out of salvation. You did not receive the gift of life by your works. You cannot reject the gift of life by the lack of your works. It's a gift. 
receive freely. And now the only thing that all of us need to do is to become acquainted with the love of God, acquainted with our Father. Because as the saying goes, like Father, like Son. If you do not know your Father, you cannot live like your Father. If you don't spend time with your Father, He cannot rub off on you. Because as the saying also goes, children don't do what you say, they do what you do. So it's no point in just looking at the Bible and, and seeing this, this uh, do, do, do kind of God or this do, do, do relationship and don't do this kind of relationship. No, that's not what the Bible is. It's a message of love towards us, towards the world. And when we come to know God in that fashion through a, relation, in a, through a relational way as father, as friend, guess what? There will be a natural overflow and we'll start living like the children we are. Children of our Father, children of God. Matthew 19, verse 25 to 26. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? There's a parable that Jesus talked about uh, uh, the eye of a needle and a camel uh, going through uh, the eye of a needle and those who trust in their riches. And then Jesus jumps into this and these uh, uh, disciples ask this question, Who then can be saved? We're not going to get into the, 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 the many other things that we can uh, draw from this passage of Scripture. I just want to focus in on this specific point, which is the most important point there. Who then can be saved? It's a good question to ask, for us even practically speaking in everyday life. Who then can be saved? Who is salvation for? Jesus responds, Sound a little bit confusing on the surface, but uh, I'll unconfuse it for you guys. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men... This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What's the topic here? Salvation. So what is impossible for men? Salvation. And so impossible in and of yourself to experience salvation. Salvation's got nothing to do with you. You didn't pay for your salvation. Jesus paid for your salvation. So all you need to do is receive it. That's all you need to do. With men it is impossible, but with God it is possible. Where there was no way, guess what? God provided a way. What is salvation? Salvation is oneness with God. Experiencing completeness. Like I said earlier on, sometimes we think that doing certain things going through the seasons of life, whether it's marriage, having children, there will be a form of completeness found in that. No, that's not what the Word teaches us. Colossians 2 verse 10 says that you have been made complete in Christ. It's only in Christ that we find completeness. And some of you have received Christ, and you consider yourself a Christian, a child of God, but you're not experiencing completeness. Now you're thinking, oh, that obviously means that I still need to jump through this hoop, jump through that hoop, maybe get married, maybe have children and find completeness within the bigger scheme of things. That's okay reasoning, but it's flawed. Because you're not considering the fact that there's something you do not understand about what you have received. It's like receiving any uh, amazing gift, um, a new form of technology, whether it's a, a a tablet, whether it's a smart device, whether it's a, 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 a whatever, you fill in the blank, like a drone, something that is technologically like advanced and you've never had something like that before. So you get that gift, um, 
Say, for example, you put a smart device in an 80-year-old's hands right now, and they've never had a smart device, a smartphone. They've only had the Blockyard 2210. Um, <laughs> some of you don't know what that means, and uh, you don't get the reference. It's fine. Um, go, go and Google it, and you'll, you'll see pictures of, of what that means. And um, so now they get this amazing uh, device, and then they, they're receiving it, they're, like, they're super happy because it looks nice, it looks fancy, it's got this bright screen, many different colors, it's got uh, true tones and this and that, and you guys can remember the euphonic and polytonic, and I can't remember all of the different tones um, as it was going to uh, proper songs. And uh, they enjoy it to a degree, but the enjoyment wears off like very fast. Now, generally, thing, enjoyment and excitement wears off fast with technology and things like that, which just shows you again, that doesn't bring us true joy and contentment. But now for that 80-year-old who's received a pretty amazing gift, they're not enjoying the, the fullness of that gift. Why aren't they enjoying the fullness of that gift? Because of a lack of understanding. But they've got an amazing gift. So you too, as a Christian, you've received the greatest gift you ever experience and receive in your life. But you're not enjoying that gift. You're missing out on that gift. Guess what? There's nothing wrong with the gift. There's something wrong with your understanding. And that's why God's will for you is not just to receive the gift, but it's for you to grow in understanding the gift. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. God's will is not just salvation, but for you to come to understand your salvation. Romans 3 verse 23, um, coming to close now, second to last passage. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The problem is not sin. The problem is being short of God's glory. We all think that the problem is sin, so we want to go into behavior modification. Stop doing this. Start doing that. You being a bad person, you need to start being a good person. Start dressing like this. Stop dressing like that. Start talking like this. Stop talking like that. It's all behavior modification. It's all focused on fruit. The problem with every form of fruit, the problem of your lack of flourishing is not what you are doing and what you're not doing. It's all dependent on what are you believing. What have you received? Because all have come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? All are short of something. All sh lack something. What is that lacking? It's not better looks. It's not anything that this world can give you. Anything you can do. The world lacks the Spirit of God. And the world that lacks the Spirit of God is living in destruction. The sin we see in the world is a byproduct of one of two things. Either lacking God's Spirit, which is His glory, in reference to Romans 3.23, or they're lacking understanding of what that means. That's all it is. The world fits into one of those two camps. Someone lacking God's Spirit, not having received the gift of life, or lacking understanding of what does God's Spirit mean? What is this relationship all about? Not growing and understanding that. Romans 8 verse 15 to 16, in closing. For you have not received the spirit of bondage against your fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
the life that God has given us, the, the relationship that He's invited us into, is not a relationship of, of slavery. Yes, I know uh, Paul calls himself a bondservant and, and a slave to Christ, but it's within the context of a life laid down in response to God's marvelous love and mercies. So stop trying to become a greater sacrifice to the kingdom of God. Stop trying to be more generous in your giving. Invest into becoming more aware of God's love for you. Because then whatever you give, whatever your life looks like, will be an overflow of what you are receiving. An overflow of what you are pouring into yourself. The love of God. Because His Spirit is not a Spirit of, of, of fear, of never being good enough, of, of a trying to become complete. No, His Spirit is confirming sonship to us. His Spirit is giving us the confidence to call on to God as Abba Father. Abba is just a, a form of intense endearment. It's like Papa, Daddy. That is what God wants us to experience Him as, to know His nature, to know His character, because then we'll start becoming as wise as, or re start responding in the ways that we see men and women uh, in the faith that we are looking up to has responded or the lives that they are living. Because Abram's response was spirit-led. It was a man that knew the nature of God. He knew God as father. He knew God as friend. So he knew, even in his journey up to that mountain with his son Isaac, with the wood, with the fire, that my God, my father, will provide. And specifically, we need to understand that that provision is in light and in context of the gospel of Christ. Because some of you are sitting here this morning and you're feeling like God has been holding out. I don't have provision in this arena, whether it's work, finances, you fill in the blank. The provision that God came to provide for you is specifically in light of this context. That God will provide Himself a lamb for us. A lamb for that offering. Jesus. Jesus has been provided for each one of us. That's the gift of life. That is the source of a life of flourishing. And so if that is what you desire, we need to come to grow and understand what that means. You can find more of our free teachings on our website www.gracelife.ca And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca